Al Jazeera podcast. As Israel steps up its bombardment of Gaza, military and political support from the U.S. remains steadfast. Could this war, which has caused such a humanitarian catastrophe, lead to a wider regional instability? What role does Washington play? I'm Sami Zaydan. You're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Well, let's bring in our guest now. We have in London Daniel Levy, president of the US Middle East Project and a former advisor in the office of former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak. In the Turkish city of Antalya, Nicholas No, director of the Beirut Exchange Foundation. And also in London, H.A. Hellyer, a senior associate fellow at the Royal United Services Institute for Defence and Security Studies in London and a non-resident scholar at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace in Washington. A warm welcome to you all. If I could start with Daniel. So, Daniel, where do you read Israeli policy when it comes to the question of widening the conflict, drawing in more powers like the US deeper into the conflict? Well, Sammy, I think there's two elements to that. First of all, it's clear that the Israeli government has America where it wants it on the question of the military assault on Gaza itself. To the extent to which maybe, and, and I may have been part of that naivety, we thought there was American action behind the scenes to actually try and get to that ceasefire. I think it's been clarified that that's not the case. America is actively working to prevent a ceasefire. Uh, President Biden has gone onto the pages of the Washington Post to make that clear. Now, in the Gaza assault, I think America is already part of this war. The trickle of humanitarian aid is matched by a flood of weapons going to Israel. So America is directly aiding the war. There are suggestions there might be some involvement, special ops on the ground, or perhaps drones um, being flown that are American. America is, of course, trying to prevent international action. And I think America is trying to back up what looks like very flimsy Israeli intel. So on all those fronts, Americans involved, which is why some are suggesting that American leaders themselves may have a court case to answer in terms of their complicity in war crimes. But then there's the second question, which is, do we get to a point of direct American military engagement in a broader regional war? Now, it seems, and this would be Israel, Hezbollah primarily, but it could be directly Iran, America as well. It seems that America has, in that broader conflagration, taken steps to try and assert a preventive deterrence presence in the region. And it seems that Israel and Hezbollah are calibrating their moves. However, the Israeli side looks at this, and it hasn't made the decision, but it looks at this and it has America off the coast of Lebanon, and it has a rare opportunity for America to be directly involved in a war it's something Israel has perhaps hoped for in terms of any future clash with Hezbollah. It's not gone for it yet, but that is tempting. That encourages moral hazard. And here's the key connection between the two. The longer things go on and the worse they become in Gaza, and with more of the population kettled into the south and Israel continuing its assault, we can assume that absent a ceasefire, things will get worse. How far does this get dialed up? And do we see a regional spread, either at the 
premeditated intention of one of the parties and of Israel perhaps trying to bring America in, or by virtue of happenstance. And that, I think, is, is why no one should be nonchalant, of course not about what's happening in Gaza, but also about the prospects of this spreading further All if right. it continues. Let, let me jump in there, Daniel. You, you made, a, I guess, a key statement there. It's tempting. Hisham, and I, I should point out to viewers, you've kindly allowed me to refer to you as Hisham rather than H.A. Hellier. So, Hisham, do you agree with that? Is there a temptation for Israel an interest to try and draw the US in a step further than the US is already involved in this, as Daniel was pointing out. So uh, I think that we have a couple of things here, and I broadly agree with what Daniel has just said, in that I don't think a decision has been taken uh, to actually try to regionalize the conflict from within the Israeli security establishment. On the contrary, I think that that's not something that they would want to do. Um, but I would also combine that with uh, a high degree of, uh, let us say, recklessness in terms of going about things within the actual conflict itself um, that could very easily lead to a regionalization of the conflict and that's the problem that I see right there, um, that if you don't take seriously the very easy off-ramp into regionalization that we currently see, then it, it doesn't take much for the law of uh, unintended consequences to apply in a war. I mean, very early on in this conflict, you saw a missile a strike on an Egyptian security outpost in Sinai. That was apparently by mistake, okay? Um, but that was very early on. Um, imagine if you had something like that when it comes to uh, several targets within uh, southern Lebanon, for example. Imagine if you see the continued escalation in the West Bank, huh? with the supporting of uh, Jewish settlers uh, by the IDF, uh, with a rising death toll of Palestinian civilians in the West Bank, you know, where does that go? You know, things can move very quickly and tumble and stumble out of control. And then you, by virtue of that, you then have a regionalization effect. I don't think this is the intended policy. I do think that there's an incredible recklessness that's involved here, which is why I agree with Daniel. I think we ought not to be nonchalant about where this can all go. And unfortunately, I see a lot of that nonchalance within D.C., um, within some parts of London. I have to say that when it comes to London, uh, while the, uh, the leadership of our two main parties seems united on uh, backing Israel to the hilt in this conflict, uh, I'd say right. that actually it, the picture is much more different when you look across the policy establishment. All right, let's break down some of the terms we're using here. And let me bring in Nicholas and ask the question, when we talk about the possible regionalization, well, so far in this show, we've been discussing the possible further involvement of the US. But does that also, by default, mean the deeper involvement of Iran? Well, I think there's a wide presumption that if the Americans become militarily involved in the coming stages, that that is much more likely to involve Iran, sure. But I think it's very important to just, uh, if I can challenge something that Hisham just said, 
I think we have clear reporting in the public that there are key leaders in the Israeli government and establishment that have very much wanted to expand the confrontation and the military front to Hezbollah. And Daniel, I think, was much more of an expert than I When you say the government, Nicholas, let me jump in. You say key leaders. We've had indication from key leaders in the government. Yeah. I take it you're referring to the Israeli government, not the U.S. government. Yeah, the Israeli government. There, I mean, there's multiple reporting about this over the last few weeks that the Biden administration and the Pentagon have had to really assert, I think, in their strongest fashion yet on this key issue to try to restrain key Israeli leaders, including the Minister of Defense, at least as it's publicly reported. Again, I think Daniel is much more of an expert on the internal machinations of Israeli politics than I am. But there is wide reporting that there are key figures in the Israeli government and the establishment there and in the military that have wanted very much at moments over these last several weeks to escalate and to hit Hezbollah and Lebanon far harder than they have. And it seems, and I think that this tracks with what I've been hearing from American officials, that it seems that they've been restrained from that. The problem, well, there are several problems with that, beyond the fact that such an escalation would be awful for the people, all the people of the region, uh, and would indeed likely bring in the U.S. and probably bring in Iran. And the reason why the U.S. would be involved is because Israel finds itself in a militarily very precarious position, such that it hasn't seen in decades. It actually needs the anti-missile technology, at the very least, that the U.S. has brought to bear in the region. More than 70 ships, I believe, two aircraft carriers. This is substantial American firepower that actually it's deemed would be necessary in order for Israel to fight on these two fronts. What I think is extremely concerning so, about I that— mean, I guess, then, it, Nicholas, the question is why— in the minds of those Israeli officials that you're seeing the indication that they want to widen this and drag in a full-blown war in the north, if the means to do it is questionable, what is the appealing thing to them? Uh, maybe to Daniel's point, yeah. is it about it's the opportunity? Well, hey, while we've got the Americans here, this might be our chance to try and knock out Hezbollah while we've got the Americans in the area. Precisely. And I think that, you know, if we look at just the hard military balance of power and the hardware that the Americans have brought, it's 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 significant. I mean, I, I don't think the Americans, certainly not in the 2006 war in Lebanon when I was there or, or or otherwise, have brought that degree of firepower off the shores of Beirut and off the shores of Lebanon. And as Daniel said, that creates a real moral hazard. Um, and I just, uh, there's, a, there's a further point, because we can all talk about the realm of, of realism and, you know, and, and even unintended consequences. But I, I think we need to be clear that there are a number of actors, uh, both within the, let's say, Hezbollah leadership, within the Israeli government, within the Israeli leadership, and by the way, other groups right. as well, uh, Al-Qaeda and others, who would very much like to see a huge confrontation. Uh, are we going to be, or is this realist game of back and forth going to be able to be contained by rational thinking? A good I'm quite question. concerned that as it goes on, it won't be. All right, let, let me bring Daniel back into the discussion since Daniel got us rolling on this uh, point. Would Israel be able, you think, to fight two full-blown conflicts in the South and the North 
and whatever other players that drags in in the region, even with US backing? So this is, I think, why there is a dilemma inside the Israeli system, including significant leadership, political and military voices pulling in both directions. And there has not, to the best of my knowledge, and in indications we have, been a decision made yet. First of all, you have a significant amount of Israel's force already tied down on the northern front, not participating in the south because of the possibility and because of the degree of existing escalation. Israel sees yeah. a rare, perhaps unique opportunity to directly bring America into this. It sees a rare opportunity to have the, the public ready to make the sacrifice. And its narrative, which is why worth paying attention to, is one can't go back to the same situation in the North. Just as in the South, one needs to totally reshuffle the equation. One can't still have the uh, Israeli communities in the North facing this threat. Now, that doesn't mean the decision has been made. However, as, as we've said, the worst is gets in Gaza. The potential spread into the West Bank. We haven't mentioned East Jerusalem either. The Houthi involvement, which is being stepped up. This all suggests that maybe Israel sees that this is the time, this is with America, this is the opportunity. And Israel, I think, is trying to do something which it will prove unable to do. In Gaza, right. you're not going to... One, one second. In Gaza, you're not going to eradicate Hamas. But also, Israel is trying to reassert overwhelming military preponderance and I don't think that is available to Israel in the contemporary region it lives in. All right, Daniel, hold that thought. We're going to come back to you in a moment. If I could go to Hisham, though. If we're talking now about the possibility of some in the Israeli government that want to escalate this into a confrontation with Hezbollah, Daniel mentioned the Houthis changing the regional situation. That must beg the question, does Israel ultimately want to drag the U.S. as well into a confrontation with Iran to deal with what it sees as the issue, the problem with Iran's nuclear program and so on? Okay, so um, it's not that I disagree necessarily with Nicholas, but I think we're looking at this from slightly different angles. When we say Israel wants to do A or B or C, I think well, we have some to in the Israeli cabinet, I think, is, is the point that, that yeah, yeah. No, Nicholas no, 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 was no. making. I, right? I understand. I'm not, I, I understand. But that, that's the point right there. There's incredible dysfunctionality within the Israeli cabinet and within the Israeli government. So uh, leave aside what's going on right now. Pre-October 7th, you had a priority being detailed by Netanyahu and those close to him that they desperately, desperately wanted to have a normalization deal with Riyadh, with Saudi Arabia. And this was an ut utmost, you know, first priority, okay? Um, whereas you had others like Smotrich and Ben Gavir, who were frankly, they didn't really care. They were far more interested in increasing settlement activity on the West Bank. Um, and they would have pulled down his government if there had been the slightest suggestion of any type of even symbolic concession towards the Palestinians. 
So you have these competing things going on even before this latest upsurge in the crisis. And I think that what you have right now is within the Israeli government, you again, you have different elements pulling and pushing in different directions. And sometimes the same people doing, you know, totally different things on different days. Um, so I, I think it's very wise to be incredibly concerned. I think that it's very easy to sleepwalk and sleepwalk, you know, after having been asleep for like 10 minutes, huh? Um, into a very escalationary uh, pattern and paradigm. Um, I think Nicholas is also correct that there are right. different people within Iran, within Hezbollah, and within the Israeli government that would be very happy to escalate. At the same time, there are others also in Iran and also in Hezbollah and also in uh, the Israeli government that are not particularly interested in doing that right now. So, okay. uh, again— I say this without trying to be nice. Uh, I don't think we're really disagreeing as much as we're just looking at slightly different angles here. And um, uh, all of these all of these pieces to the puzzle, I think, are very important because ultimately, right. Let, let's so see if many we are variables at this play here. Just we, from... could, we could escalate. We could escalate. This could regionalize extremely quickly, um, whether people intend it or not. And that's why I think within D.C., within London, this needs to be taken a lot more seriously. And frankly, right now, it isn't at all. All right. I, usually, I'm good at reading body language. And I thought I saw Nicholas shaking his head at some point uh, in what looked second. to me like a bit of disagreement. I'll bring you in, Nicholas, to... Come back on some of that if you wanted. Are we looking at things from a different angle, as Hisham was pointing out? Perhaps. No, I, I, I think I'm just. I think there's a, a another angle that needs to be brought in, which is U.S. domestic politics, and perhaps an Israeli reading of that uh, or other readings of that. I mean, let's let's see where we're at. We're 11 months out from the presidential campaign. Trump looks like he's. He's going to win. Um, him and, and that kind of that grouping of Republicans and shared by some Democrats are very hard line. Uh, you know, Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State, said, you know, basically, you know, just no ceasefire, you know, destroy Gaza, more or less, of course, destroy Hamas. But the coding there, and actually Trump has been very out front on this, is you just got to flatten them. Um, so what I'm concerned about is this moral hazard and the opportunity that Daniel spoke about. And I'm worried about that coming together in this coming few days or weeks and buttressed by the fact that key members of the Israeli security and political establishment and government uh, uh, very much, at least on the record, have wanted to kind of run the table and to smash Hezbollah. And they have well, tremendous Let me American turn the question around to you, Nicholas, and say, do you think it makes sense? Is there an incentive for Biden to put more American boots on the ground in the Middle East in another conflict 11 months out of an election? Of, of course not, but he's in an impossible situation because he's tied his fortunes so strongly to a figure, right. Netanyahu, head of the Israeli government, who literally, I mean, th those folks despise the progressives, despise the Democrats, and despise the Obama-Biden team. And he's, and he's put all his eggs in the, in the same basket, I think. is the All right, let me yeah. take that. That segues nicely to what I was going to ask Daniel, which is, what does the widening of this conflict mean for Netanyahu's political survival? Nice. Um, Netanyahu, of course, 
does not want the morning after. So whether it's Gaza, yeah. whether it's the widening, I don't want to suggest here that he's therefore definitely going to, to push for the widening. But the morning after is the day of reckoning, is the commissions of inquiry. So I think what we're coming around to saying is 40 plus days into this, it hasn't gone into a regional conflagration. That doesn't mean it won't, and America is trapped. I think that's a trap of its own making. And look, I don't think we need to waste words on, oh, double standards and hypocrisy and America trying to replace international law with whatever goes, which it sometimes calls the rules-based international order and war profiteering of the military-industrial complex. What we know is America is flooding both this war zone and the Ukraine war zone with weapons. It's trying to do illogical somersaults to, to weave those together in ways they can't be woven together. But where it leaves us is America, and it's sad to say this, but it's, it's just too obvious, and America is forcing us to say this. America is the enemy of peace here. It's the enemy of the Palestinians here. It's the enabler of the continuation of this apartheid reality. And as such, we have to redouble our efforts elsewhere. It's good news, I think, that a delegation from the League of Arab States and the Organization of the Islamic Conference are in China, uh, going to, to Europe as well. But we'll need to see a hell of a lot more of this rather than this waiting for America to de-escalate, because the president of America has been very clear. He is right. not in the business buyers. Oh, right. Let, let me take this point briefly to Nicholas, because I want to try and get a word in from Hisham before time's up. Whereas situation, obviously, we see a lot of carnage and destruction of civilian life in Gaza. 35 UN experts warning on November the 16th that genocide is in the making and they see Israeli genocidal intent in this. But is it achieving any strategic military objectives? Briefly, Nicholas. Ooh, absolutely. And I think that that's why, let's not discount, there is strong support uh, within the Pentagon and within the Biden administration for what Israel is doing. They just want them to do it in a limited, very rational and containable fashion, which is the U.S. and Israel both share a common goal at this point. They would like to see Hamas's military power eradicated, ended. That would be a tremendous boost to the balance of power vis-a-vis -vis Iran and its allies, as well as the potential to help lubricate, they think, other normalization deals. So they see it's a terrible cost politically, morally, legally, whatever it may be. But there is still, I think, a strong hope within some in the Biden administration, certainly the president. President, definitely some in the Pentagon, that Hamas's military power can be brought out of the regional military balance OK, equation. but I guess the question, let me ask you, Daniel, you touched briefly on this. Is this happening after more than 40 days of conflict? I think partly, partly it is. I, I know you want to go to Hisham, so, so I, I'm going to let you do yeah, that. Are, are, we, we, are, are we seeing Hamas being eradicated as an organisation no, from Gaza? No, that's, no, that's the no, question. No, we are not, and it won't happen. And to the extent to which there's degradation, I think it's very questionable how far that goes. And we, we will see later, but Hamas is also politically strengthened. All right. Hisham, yeah. your take on this. Does, does the US have a clearer kind of road plan for where this war goes to then if, as I think, if I've understood Nicholas as well as Daniel correctly, that might not be happening? They may not be able to eradicate Hamas. 
So I think the problem with asking about America's plan for the day after, it's been very clear about what its plan is supposed to look like uh, in terms of a return of the PA, in terms of an Arab uh, force within Gaza and so on. But at the same time, it's being rebuffed in terms of any Arab element on the ground. Um, when it talks about a two-state solution, it says nothing about the removal of settlements in the West Bank. So it says these lovely sort of, well, lovely, it says these different points of any day after plan, but it isn't actually doing anything to ensure that that day after plan comes to fruition. On the contrary, it's enabling right. and strengthening the Israeli government on actually countering that plan. There are big problems to be discussed. We're going to have to leave it at this point for now. Let's thank our guests, Daniel Levy, Nicholas No, and H.A. Hellion. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Katia Lopez-Odian, Veronica Pedroza, and Jimmy Getahan. Studio sound was by Eli Ilhani, the program was edited by Andre Ostazin, Zeyna Badr, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Monday for our next edition. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.